Sally. Is this Sean? This is. It is. Awesome. Hey, good to talk to you. You too. Thank you for doing this. I hope that uh, you're prepared and comfortable with doing all this. <laughs> I don't have a clue what I'm doing, but we'll do our best. You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where Guy Gardner is strong enough for a man, but made for a woman. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show dedicated to bringing you coverage of the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, my favorite Green Lanterns, and hopefully favorite Green Lanterns of a special person that I have on the podcast today. She is the host, or well, not really the host, the purveyor of the website Green Lantern Butts Forever. Get your mind out of the gutter, guys. It's not that kind of website. It is a website, however, that is dedicated to covering the Green Lanterns, including my favorite, and as far as I know, Sally's favorite Green Lantern, Mr. Guy Gardner. Ladies and gentlemen, and I forgot to ask your last name. Is it Pascal? It's Pascal. Okay. Miss Sally Pascal. Hey, Sally, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Sally. How are you? Not bad. I, I really want to thank you for coming on the show, especially coming on for this uh, episode, because today we're going to be covering a couple of Green Lantern books, well, a couple of books. Green Lantern number 54, which is kind of infamous for uh, a certain reason. There's oh, yeah. a traumatic change that goes on in the book, which I'm certain we'll get to talk about here in a few. And then, of course, we're also going to be covering Guy Gardner Warrior number 23, which is Excellent. an awesome, awesome Bo Smith story. <laughs> just just all about fun. But, um, Sally, again, thanks for coming on. Uh, this is your first time doing a podcast, am I right? It is. I have no experience with this whatsoever, so we're, we're sort of winging it here. Uh, don't worry, I don't have any experience talking to women, so it's, <laughs> it all works out. But uh, what I'm going to do here is we're going to take a little break. I'm going to plug a few promos for our podcast that aren't mine. And when we get back, we will start with our coverage of Green Lantern number 54. Obi-Wan, your lightsaber's showing. Take a bath, Pete. Live long and good. it, Frodo. I'm sick of being a goddamn scarecrow. I'll give this podcast thing a try. Two. 
come here to chew bubble gum and kick your ass. Wow, you've gone from very fine to near mint. What a man. Size matters not. Two true freaks.lipson.com. Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. It was for this moment that we were created. But I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Chosen by the Mystic Guardians of the Universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest joined to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's Light. Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the core. Green Lantern's Light. Available monthly at greenlanternslight.com. And we are back. So, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start off with my coverage of Green Lantern number 54. Green Lantern number 54 uh, had a cover date of August 1994 with a release date of June 21st, 1994. Uh, it had a cover price of $1.50 US, $2 Canada, and 70 pence UK. Title of the book was Forced Entry. Kind of a suggestive title. <laughs> uh, writer was Ron Mars. Pencilers were Steve Carr, Derek Akuin, and Daryl Banks. Anchor was Romeo Tancall. Colors was Steve Matson. Letter was Albert Guzman. Assistant editor was Eddie Berganza. And editor was Kevin Dooley. Flying across the Hollywood skyline, Green Lantern Kyle Rayner carries his on-again girlfriend, Alex DeWitt, home from a night out on the town. They land in front of the apartment, and Alex shows her gratitude for the night out with an unexpected kiss. Kyle's surprised by the renewed affection, and Alex says that since he's got the ring, he's become more responsible. She thinks things are finally starting to work out between the two of them. Kyle sheepishly says that he's trying and really couldn't do it without her. Oh, that was a bad sign right there. Yes. Kyle starts to leave, but Alex suggests that since they're back together again, he should stay the night. Kyle, of course, is reluctant at first, but Alex finds a way to persuade him. (laughs) The persuasion comes in the form of or basically dropping most of her clothes. 
We cut then to Major Force, flying on a decked-out airplane, looking over pictures of Alex and Kyle, his latest targets. A shadowy government agent hands Major Force a case with a glowing green piece of metal in it. The agent tells Force to extract any information about the object that he can from Alex DeWitt. Coercion level at his discretion. Grabbing the agent by the throat, Force says that he knows what to do, and he doesn't need any pencil-pushing bureaucrat to hold his hand. He asks the agent how long it is until they land, because he's starting to get anxious. Back in the assumedly post-coital bedroom, Alex DeWitt, Kyle lies in bed watching CNN while Alex showers in the next room. It seems like there's some weird and world type stuff going on, and Alex thinks that Kyle needs to step up and help out as Greenland. Kyle, being a horny 20-year-old, would rather spend more time alone with Alex, but she insists that he needs to get out there. Kyle relents and rings up his uniform, I guess over his um, BBDs or maybe even less. Uh, <clears throat> You hope you don't lose ring power. <laughs> yes, you definitely don't want to... See, this is one of the things that's always bugged me about the Green Lantern costume. Sometimes right. the artists draw it as clothes, and sometimes they draw they do it as, you know, it's a ring-generated costume. So, in cases like this, where you obviously think that Kyle's going sans pretty much anything besides the costume, yes. <laughs> Kyle's going commando. Yeah, you don't want to see him lose power. Yeah. Uh, I, I've always wondered if that was something that uh, Jeff Johns retconned when he brought back I, the lanterns, that it was all ring-generated, because I don't remember it really being uh, brought up that much before. During a lot of the issues that I've read, it's it's hit and missed. Oftentimes, they will... You'll see like them taking off the uniform. Yeah. Uh, I remember in the Inglehart run, you know, they would put on the uniform. A lot of times, Guy's costume, when he had the, his regular Green Lantern uniform, it looked more like it was clothing rather than it was a ring construct. Uh, when the regular core wore it, it just seemed like it was something that they beamed on with the rings. So it's, it's hit and miss here. I think it depends on the writer. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Uh, let's see. Alex Wishman, going back to the... Alex wishes him well and says that she'll have a surprise waiting for him when he comes back. Uh, and with that, Kyle heads out to find half of Los Angeles turned into a futuristic city. At the same time, Alex hears a knock on her apartment door. We're cutting between the two protagonists, with Kyle trying to figure out why the LA of the future is here, and Alex opening the door to a delivery of flowers and a card. A card that reads, I'm going to kill you. The yeah, terrace starts as Kyle feels the trembling of the ground signaling an oncoming earthquake, while Alex runs from the disguised major force who's intent on finding out about Green Lantern. The earthquake hits and Kyle uses his ring to brace as many structures as he can from the quake. At the same time, Alex is being beaten by major force who demands she tell him where her boyfriend is. Alex says she doesn't know what he's talking about as major force wraps his hands around her throat, saying that if she doesn't have any information, She's of no use to it. Major Forces continues to squeeze until he stands over the lifeless body of Kyle's girlfriend. Elsewhere, yeah. Elsewhere, Kyle's construct braces have done the trick as the earthquake subsides. The girl from the future gives Kyle an impassioned hug of thanks just before vanishing as strangely as she appeared. His work done, 
Kyle heads back to the apartment for a surprise. He enters the house to see a note on the table, telling him that there's a surprise in the, for him in the fridge. Shockingly, the surprise is the body of his girlfriend, crammed into the apartment's refrigerator. Devastated, Kyle turns to see Major Force standing in the apartment, gloating about the murder. Force says for him to come in the ring and he'll make Kyle's death quick. To which Kyle replies with a blast from his ring, knocking the villain right through the apartment's wall. Some rage-driven fighting McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, ensues, with Kyle getting the best of the orange and magenta menace until he's about to deliver the final blow. And then the energy from his ring finally gives out. Powerless, Kyle prepares to be his fate at the hands of Major Force. And that is the synopsis for issue 54. Sally, do you have any notes on this? Do you have anything, you know, aside from... Oh, that was a great issue. That was a stunning issue, of course, because this is where the term women in refrigerators comes from Hmm. that Gail Simone came up with. Yeah, that's specifically one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. Uh, I, you know, as surprising as it may be, podcasting doesn't really garner that many female, well, podcasters. <laughs> Mostly this is sadly a male-oriented, you know, yeah. well, not really job, but hobby that people do. And I wanted to get your opinion, not only because, obviously, you're female, but also because you are an incredible writer and you have such a love and passion for the Green Lantern books, especially from this era. Um, just to plug your site, um, if People aren't going to the Green Lantern Butts site forever simply because of the name. <laughs> because, yes, I will admit, there are times when you do cheesecake photos of... <laughs> well, there's so awesome. many cheesecake photos of women that every once in a while it's really nice to show a really fabulous Green Lantern behind. Well, and I I greatly appreciate that, and then, you know. <laughs> so do the other girls who like Green Lantern. <laughs> That's the thing. There is, in comics, it is so male-oriented, and we get so much stereotypical over-hypersexualization of females in comics. It's nice that you know that the guys get their due as well. Um, and this is one of the things that I'm kind of I'm kind of cold on in the modern comics right. is that they've decided to take some of these characters, and I point specifically towards Starfire from the Teen Titans and, uh. the, and the Red Hood book that they're doing right now, and just how they've turned her into a, just like a walking sex doll. And it's not... It, it diminishes yeah. the character, and like I said, you're able to not only do the cheesecake type stuff, but you also do really wonderful reviews on your site, and that's why I wanted to have you well, on. Oh, very welcome. Uh, go ahead and uh, if you've got any uh, thing you want to talk about this, please. It's it's a well written book because you know right from the beginning when Kyle and Alex, whom whom I, is still my favorite girlfriend of his, you know that she's doomed. <laughs> that, <laughs> the minute you see them being happy together and you know all the all the rest going on, I. I do get a little angry sometimes that you, why do they always have to kill off their girlfriends just to give the male character angst? Yeah, that's... You don't 
really often see the boyfriends of female heroines killed off, but, well, Steve Trevor, but that's another story. Um, it, 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 and I think Gail Simone was absolutely right in pointing out that this is so overused as, as motivation. And uh, nevertheless, I have to say that the picture when he spots her body is very well done because it just gives you a hint. It's certainly not graphically portrayed, so it leaves it up to your own filthy imagination, Mm -hmm. which is probably much worse than what actually happened. Well, you just see her. You just see her foot sticking out. (laughs) Oh God! In in, in fact, uh, one of the things that they did in the more grim and gritty Blackest Night thing is they rebrought or they brought Alex back as sort of a torture thing to uh, kind of... Uh, oh, is the black refrigerator. I, yeah. And, I, I blush to confess I thought that was hilarious. Well, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> if I recall, they showed a bit more in the uh, in the Green Lantern Corps issue where they brought the image of Alex back. And I like the fact that in this era they're able to get away with things that are horrific or violent or not really gruesome, but... It, are, are... it works better when it's a little bit restrained. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I've been so upset about modern comics is they can't seem to show restraint. Uh, again, I haven't been... I've been off again on again with modern comics. I read a lot of the Black Knight stuff, mm-hmm. and I was just really... Not it's a, very graphic. I mean, they're showing swords protruding through people's bodies and well, arms being hacked off, and it's it's it was kind of yeah. One of the uh, things that's kind of been the defining thing for uh, DC Comics was the all new, all violent, all rapey DC, and it seems that that seems to be their motivation is in order to garner new viewers, we just have to be as outrageously violent as possible. And we'll show Blackhand, who was a character that in this era of the books was pretty much a joke, taking his little Green Lantern vacuum tube thing up to his head and blowing it out graphically on panel. I mean, that's that's something you'd expect. They've to, you completely know. forgotten that the audience for comic books was kids, mm-hmm. and they're 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 <sighs> pandering is a is a is a rude word, but that's the only one I can think of to such a small demographic anymore. I mean, they have come out and stated they want male audience from eighteen to thirty, mm-hmm. and if you don't fall within those parameters, they don't really care. And yet, exactly. it's a little insulting to the guys who do fall into those parameters that they think they could be wooed by all the graphic violence and sex. <laughs> exactly. And it, it is disappointing that I would feel uncomfortable giving modern comics to my daughters and letting them read them. But with this stuff, I wouldn't have a problem, even though right. it does have an image of a woman being violently killed. Right. Because the image is pretty much left to your imagination. Well, it, it's between the panels. Mm-hmm. And uh, so many modern, of uh, the new artists, or modern-day artists, have forgotten that there's action going on between the panels. And uh, like I said, it, it's it's always worse than your own imagination anyway. Oh, yes. So it, it makes a bigger impact. 
if you don't actually see all the you know screaming red blood and you know eyeballs exploding and True. all the rest of it so it's yeah. well, well I, I i also watch a lot of horror movies and i watched a lot of the movies from you know the 80s when i was growing up and back then they were considered uh very violent and very horrific but um harking back to john one of them i really love john carpenter's halloween if you watch it now there is really actually very little gore or very little violence in it and most of it is in your mind right uh, again another one of my favorite movies is alfred hitchcock's psycho and everyone harkens to the uh, shower scene where uh janet lee is supposedly stabbed all these times and everyone's just horrified by that but you never see it exactly it's all what your mind puts in there right. and it's a it's a testament to the talent of the creators who are able to do this and do it in an intelligent manner like they're doing in this book rather than what they seem to need to do in the modern comics. So there is that sort of... I don't know if they figure that everybody is just so oversated with blood and violence and sex that they have to keep upping the ante, or if we've all just gotten to the point we don't even see it anymore. So when you see a a splatter fest or read about it, it's like, meh, and it's meh. Yeah, I, no, I agree. I think there is. It, it it it's it's gotten a little out of hand. Yeah, there is a bit of oversaturation, and there also seems to be, amongst the big two, of some sort of one-upmanship between each other. You know, uh, yeah. we see Blackest Night happening over in DC, then we see the uh, Siege storyline over in uh, Marvel, where we see a person get. Uh, violently ripped in two, if I remember. So, right. yeah, violence has come from what we have here, which is very in your mind to very on the page. And, uh, it's, it, it's, it's getting progressively more explicit. Um, back in the, well, I have to say the nineties is when, you know, the grim and gritty fan, uh, thing started and it seemed all new and fresh and, Oh wow, we're going to show things we never showed before. And isn't this fabulous? And aren't we cutting edge? And, and, uh, it, and it's just gone from there and it's just getting ickier. (laughs) And I love my comics and I just miss them being kind of fun. Well, yeah. And that's, that's what we're going to get to when we get to the guy Garner one. But, um, I, I really, when I went and reread this, one of the things that I had forgotten about was, um, the panel progression that they did, uh, with the uh, encounter with major force. Mm-hmm. Um, I had forgotten completely about the earthquake thing that Kyle was dealing with. Now, is Be- that leading up to zero hour? Yes, this is. Yeah, this, I'm trying to remember all. There've been so many crossovers. Yeah, all the yeah. In fact, I had to go and pull out my uh, copy of uh, the Zero Hour Trade to remember what was going on with that. Uh, obviously, yeah. I knew what happened with with Hal because supposedly in the New Fifty Two, he mentions like every five minutes. You know, hey, did you know I was I was parallax and I did these horrible things. We love you. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, the whole. Uh, appearance of this weird futuristic city in L.A. is one of these time problems that's popping up uh, because of, uh, well, we know who messing with the time stream. Right. And uh, I enjoyed the fact that 
they had this sort of what would be called what would usually in movies be a very cinematic thing where you'd be cutting between the hero and his girlfriend uh, and seeing what's going on between them. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting choice for the book. Um, uh, it was really odd to me that at the end of the book, uh, in the uh, letters page, I think Kevin Dooley, who's the editor, uh, writes a little blurb about saying, we came up with this storyline wondering if it would be PC in light of the January 1984 Los Angeles earthquake to write about this. And it's surprising to me that an issue where it basically developed the entire term women in refrigerators and basically sort of cemented the idea of uh, comic book writers having sort of a grudge against female characters and using them a lot of time as just ideas to promote, you know, ideas to promote the male characters into right. doing something else by committing violence against them, that they were concerned more about people being worried about the earthquake. I thought that was just kind of weird that they were trying to be PC about the earthquake thing, but the whole thing about <laughs> Right. But being PC about uh, female characters wouldn't even pass their minds. No. Well, and that's another thing that I've kind of uh, gotten from, you know, talks with other people, and I'm hoping eventually to talk with Bo Smith about this because I knew he had a specific idea for the way he wanted to take Guy Gardner, mm-hmm. and editorial, I think, kind of stymied him in that. Oh, the whole Indiana Jones yes. kind of idea, which I personally think would have been a great way to go. Oh, definitely. But, but um, uh, they had to throw in some superpowers, so... Mm-hmm. Well, as in, well, it was the 90s, and... Yeah. I will say this for Bo Smith. He writes fabulous women. Mhm. That 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 is one of the things he he knows how to get strong female characters in the book and he knows how to do them right. And he doesn't make a big production out of saying, "Ooh, look, here's a strong female character. Aren't I fabulous?" like some writers do. Mhm. They're, they're just there. Yeah, exactly. They're just there. They just show up. In, in the background, they're not all men. There's women in the background. Mhm. And uh, and uh, him being paired, you know what? Yeah. I, I, as much as I love this Kyle Rayner book, I think I want to go on to the Guy Gardner book. Oh, me too. <laughs> do, do you have anything, you know, aside from the synopsis, you know, do you have anything else? That, I mean... Well, I oh. love Kyle. I really do. And I don't think he's been used much lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard okay. that... Uh, see, like I said, I've pretty much checked out after they did the re- new 52 reboot. And I've heard that the uh, New Guardians one, which is focusing mostly on Kyle, has right. been pretty hot and cold. He's really not in it that much. It's all been focusing on all the other various uh, ring people. Carol's been in it, and, and Atrocitus is not Atrocitus. Archelo's been in it, and St. Walker. So they've been really focusing on that. He's sort of floating around the periphery. Uh, occasionally they'll do something with Kyle, but he really hasn't shown up that much. Well, that's disappointing because... The latest one, uh, the annual for Green Lantern Corps, where they're finally fighting with the evil guardians, he and Guy get back together and it's like, woo, finally. <laughs> yes, <clears throat> because that was the best thing about the uh, 
post-52 uh, Green Lantern Corps reboot, uh, or uh, the pre-New 52 thing, where Guy and Kyle were pretty much in the book as sort of a buddy cop thing. Oh, and, they're hilarious together. Yeah, and, and uh, I know for a while it was Dave Gibbons writing it and then Peter Tomasi, and right. the stuff that I read from that was just incredible. They got the guy, They got both the characters down pitch perfect. Almost, in my opinion, as much as they would, as much as Bo Smith would in his. Monty has been my favorite writer for Guy since Bo Smith. Mm-hmm. He gets him. Yes, and that's that's one of the things I'm trying to do with this show. Uh, on the internet and in comic book fans in general that I've talked with, Guy Gardner is the sort of Green Lantern that everyone just can't seem to understand or can't seem to like. And why I think that is, is because they haven't read the kind of stuff that he's not being portrayed in as a jerk. They have He was a joke to begin with. Mm -hmm. Well, not begin, begin with, but when they brought him back. Yeah. uh, Yeah. When they brought him back uh, in the Green Lantern Corps stuff, he was just basically a one note uh, sort of brain dead thug. And if you actually got into reading the stuff like, what Gerard Jones did in his solo series, and now what Bo Smith is doing, I think you'd find him a really fun and enjoyable character. But right. Well, in Justice League International, when DeMatteis and Keith Given brought him back, he was he was a a a, a single note buffoon. He was hilarious, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it thoroughly. But if you went and you read the Green Lantern books with Guy and Hal and it, like you said, Gerard Jones writing it, he was, he was more nuanced. I mean, yes, he was a thug, but he also pointed out that he didn't start out that way. And it was kind of Hal's fault that he was that way with the mm-hmm. brain damage and the coma and the battery exploding. And yeah. Stuff. So you really had to read both books. And that, and that was the thing I think that, that kind of limited the characters that if right. you're just reading the justice league book, you get this idea that he's a one dimensional character. And I'm glad that there were people out there like Jones and Smith that were able to <clears throat> broaden the character and make him more, you know, make people right. like him more. But unless you want to cover any more about this book, um, I really enjoyed it. I thought uh, the artwork in it was great. Oh, it's beautifully drawn. You know, especially especially the image, which is iconic of, you know, sadly, the women refrigerator, but the image of Kyle after that, you know, just the grief. Oh, he's absolutely horrified. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that at the end of the book, while he's actually having the fight with Major Force, you don't know. I guess previously to this, I don't know whether this is another thing that John's implemented, but you kind of got the idea that Green Lanterns couldn't kill with their rings. And at the end of this book, he looks like he is going to kill Major Force. I mean, he's got um, a giant sledgehammer construct that he's about ready to pound Major Force's head in with. Now, whether or not that would actually work, knowing what we know about Major Force now, but he was was filled with rage, and he was going to do it. So... The fact that his ring conks out at the end is a, not only a great cliffhanger, but it also sets up the idea was would have Kyle actually taken a life had he had his druthers. Right. So, but yeah, I I loved the book. I thought it was really fun, and you know, it's a good cliffhanger, and we'll see what happens next issue. Okay. But um, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to 
plug a couple of promos in here, and we'll take a little break if we need to get a drink, which I'm going to have to because my voice started getting scratchy. <laughs> I'm going to go do that, and when we come back, we're going to cover the thing that we both love, Guy Gardner Warrior number 23. Excellent choice. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You are changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're but palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You earthlings can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatans, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak. Blind or hulk. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain until it has been drained of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. FFcast.libsyn. Com. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hey you! Yes you, hearing this message. Do you like podcasts? Well evidently you do because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do! Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well then have I got the show for you. Earth Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the internet. And we talk about all your old favorites like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera. But also lesser known monsters like Gappa, Yangari, and Giawa. We cover everything from movies to comic books to video games, and we're kicking it old school. This is breaking news. We are receiving word that Earth's Destruction Directive is now a part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Listeners are advised to stay in their homes and listen to all of the fine quality podcasts on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Available at two true freaks.libson.com. We now return you to your regularly scheduled broadcast.
Wait a minute. Is this true? Earth Destruction Directive is now on the Two True Freaks Network? You bet your oxygen destroyer it is. So if you love atomic-powered, fire-breathing, hardcore, giant monster action, then head on over to twotruefreaks.libson.com and check out Earth Destruction Directive. We're turning all of your daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. And we are back. So let's go ahead and take a look this time out at Kai Gardner Warrior number 23. Kai Gardner Warrior number 23 was cover dated August 1994 with a release date of July 5th, 1994. Again, the cover price was $1.50 US, $2 Canada, and 70 pence UK. The title was Marauders of the Naba, Chapter 2, <sighs> Wet Dreams. <laughs> Lord. Writer was Bo Banana Republic Smith. Penciler was Mitch Machete Bird. Anchor was Dan Down Under Davis. Letter was Albert Amazon de Guzman. Colorist was Stu Congo Shaffitz. And the editor was Eddie Swamp Fever Braganza. Like all good cliffhanger endings, the next chapter opens up with a recap of which doesn't really sync up with the prior events, but gives the hero a way out of the hopeless situation. In this case, Tiger Man Desmond slashes a Nazi across the face as Esperanza directs the rest of the crew into a hidden trap door. The Teutonic terrorist sets off its explosive vest, but Guy, Buck, and the rest have managed to escape, with Buck congratulating Esperanza on her foresight and scoping out the bar. We then cut to Abdul and his servant, who are part of the Knights of the Dead Sands, a party who want to kill Buck and find the Warrior Waters. We then cut to the Nazis, a party who want to kill Buck and find the Warrior Waters. That's a recurring theme. Yeah, this seems to be, seems to be a little part of Buck. We then cut once again to a group of South American mercenaries who want to kill Buck and violate the women with him. So they have a slightly different agenda. Back with Buck's expedition, Guy and Esperanza are sent to scout out ahead and are knocked off their motorcycle for their trouble by the South American mercs. They take Esperanza away for a little rapey McRapenstein, uh, and they find out that the woman they are about to victimize has a little secret she's been hiding. At the same time, Guy is getting pummeled by the goons, thinking that if he only had his ring, this would all be over in a flash. But he doesn't. However, he does realize that he's still Guy freaking Gardner and plants a swift kick to the cassavas of one of his captors and flips the other two under their heads. Worried that Esperanza could be hurt, or worse, Guy heads to where she was taken, only to find out that she's untouched, and the would-be rapist had been stuffed into a knothole in a tree with the words El Carto spelled out by them in their own blood. Meanwhile, Buck, Rita, and Joey are fending off hordes of the undead, sent to kill them by Abdul. Didn't know this was turning into a Walking Dead comic. The, <laughs> the fez-wielding fiend yells to bring Morgo to him, but instead gets a bat to the head from our beloved guy. Abdul says he shouldn't have made him angry. You wouldn't like him when he's angry. And he transforms not into the Hulk, but into a giant cobra. With, With arms. arms. Of course. <laughs> Tiger Man Desmond leads to Guy's aid, but is tackled by Abdul's manservant, who is transformed into a giant purple gorilla lizard thingy. I don't know. And since it really can't get much weirder, the whole fight is broken up by the arrival of the warrior women of Naba. Scantily clad warrior women who offer Abdul the warrior waters in exchange for Guy. 
Abdul is skeptical, but why wouldn't you trust a tribe of half-naked women who have outfits that would make a Reese's look modest? <laughs> uh, do you remember that costume? Oh, God, yes. That was a big source of contention over the past issues, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He drinks the waters, much to the chagrin of Kai, who feels that the entire reason for his quest has been lost. But Abdul, much like Wayne and Garth of his same time, was not worthy. And the waters make him recreate that scene from Scanners, blowing up him and his servant in the process as well. The warrior women take Guy and the team to their temple, where they reveal the ancient painting of the Deathless Warrior, who, oddly enough, looks an awful lot like Guy. But before Guy can cogitate on what the heck is going on, the Nazis show up, riding dinosaurs with 50 caliber machine guns mounted to their sides. I don't know what Bo was smoking in this, but it must have been really good. <laughs> How can you not like Nazis on dinosaurs? Exactly. So <laughs> this is the reason I love this book. I know. <laughs> on dinosaurs. Ridiculous. Oh, I love it. Well, he just keeps upping the ante. <laughs> no, at first it's zombies, then snake people, then transforming gorilla things. Oh, it's just... So joyously over-the-top wonderful. It is. Ah, the, the blast from the dino-mounted guns, pausing again for effect, knocks Guy further into the temple, where he meets with a tattooed dark side wannabe who claims that no one may enter the Hall of the Warriors and uninvited. Guy says he's sick of all of this, and if Pinky wants a piece of him, then he can come and get it. Realizing who he is, the Tattooed Hulk bows before Guy and allows him to pass. Guy walks on and is sucked down by some quicksand into a chamber where he's greeted by a hologram, who calls him the Warrior. Topside Esperanza is trying to make it to where Guy is, as she's jumped by one of the Nazis. Buck tries to save her, but realizes it might be needed as she transforms into El Carto. Whatever that is, as well. Back with Guy, we see him finally drink the warrior waters from the skull with no effect. Hoping that it doesn't give him a case of the squirts, Guy heads out of the temple, only to find the transformed Esperanza ready to crush Buck with a boulder. Guy dives in between the boulder, pushing Buck out of the way but getting crushed in the process. Esperanza is miffed, since now she'll have to retrieve the secrets of the warrior waters from Guy's carcass, until Guy punches through the rubble and lays a smackdown on the lycanthropic Latina. Knocking her off the temple and into the waiting arms of the Nazi velociraptors, Guy and Buck mourn the loss of their guide, simply because she was really hot. <laughs> at, the same, at the same time, the Nazis and dinosaurs fade from existence as a swirling vortex opens above our heroes. Buck says he's seen something like this back in Nepal in 1979, and he's certain that whatever it is, it's definitely not good. Guy Gardner Warrior, number 23. God, this is a good book. <laughs> oh, yes, this is. This is this is such a break from what we would get from books in the 90s. Oh, yeah. What they are stereotyped as is big guns, big boobs, uh, pouches, shoulder pads, just over the top and ridiculous. You get the sort of image of the life-filled uh, 
Cable and Jim Lee X-Men stuff. And this plays on all of that, but it plays it not as parody, but it plays it as sort of almost satire. His tongue is firmly in his cheek. Exactly. The whole way through. He's he's taking it, he's doing a perfect balancing act between satire and serious, and it just comes out as just so, so much fun. And I just love every piece of this book. And it so saddens me that here, just not more than a couple of issues down the line, we're going to have to get away from this sort of adventuresome character of Guy Gardner to the over-the-top, ridiculous, growing guns out of his hand and shooting plasma thing. Yeah. I mean, it would have been so good if Bo Smith would have been able to take Guy and just make him this two-fisted, very pulp hero. Um, but right, uh, it he, didn't he did out. a good job, though, in, when he was writing Guy. And yes, he, he grew guns out of his arms and stuff. But it it was over the top, but it wasn't as bad as what some of the other writers were doing when they would borrow Guy in one of their books, because it was always much more, yeah, you know, he's pulling howitzers out of his ear and stuff like that. Bo <laughs> kept it slightly within reason when he was doing it. Well, I think Bo wanted to keep it more kind of along the lines of the uh, James Cameron Terminator 2 movie, Yeah, where Guy could grow like weapons out of there but they're mostly bladed weapons or you know uh smashing weapons you know if he wanted to grow an axe out of his arm he could do that if he wanted to turn his fist into a giant brick to punch someone he could do that but other writers yeah would take guy and turn him into this weapon where he could fire lasers yeah i mean come on it's ridiculous um going through the book I, i noticed there was a lot of Spanish stuff, so I tra- I went to Google Translate, which works off and on. Yeah. Uh, on like page three, panel two, we get uh, Esperanza saying, oh, "Let me pull the book out here. I've got it in my, of course." Uh, Maldito boca de, de gusano. Yes, which uh, translates essentially to "cursed worm mouth." <laughs> Whatever. And then the next page, of course, Cayete uh, is shut up. And the uh, German uh, saying, Ich habe Schmarzen, which is, I'm, I, probably not nice. I ache or I'm hurt, which obviously I think he would understand because he just blew himself up. But I I love the art in this book. And I love Dan Davis's sort of cheesecake females in these books, especially Esperanza. No, I think you meant to say Mitch Bird. I love the way that Davis draws the females because they're not the stereotypical 90s women that are have, like, waist that you could wrap your hand around. Well, but that's bitch bird, yeah. Chest about the size of bowling balls. The sort They've of, got tummies. They've got arms. Yeah, They've and the, got muscles and internal organs. Mm-hmm. The, the, Davis draws these women like women. Good Lord, are you even listening? Even Sally corrected you. It's Mitch Bird, you complete fucking moron. Rather than like idealized figures, and I like that in this book. I, I, I even though they do dress very scantily, as we'll see in the uh, Warrior Women, they're not 
unnatural looking. Well, it's and Mitch I, Bird who's the art, artist in this. Yeah, Mitch Bird. Yeah, I'm thinking Dan Davis. Davis was the anchor, but yeah, I, I really like. He's, he's cartoony. Yeah. Well, and that's but. that's kind of been the staple of the uh, Guy Gardner books. Yeah. Uh, even going back to Joe Staten, because Joe Staten uh, draw drew. Oh, he, I love the way Joe Staten would try would draw Guy. <laughs> and, and, Although his head was a little too flat, but nevertheless. Well, his his, his art was. Uh, uh, it was more akin to what we'd see later uh, in the animated shows. Right. It, it linked up more, and I'm wondering if the animated shows may have taken sort of a uh, template from Joe Staten and uh, when they started to do the Batman adventures and the Superman in the animated show and even to the Justice League animated show because you get sort of that stylized sort of right. look that Joe Staten would do for the Guy Carter. He came up with the best uniform ever. Mm-hmm. And I, I love Guy's uniform. And personally, I also, because I love the Guy and the no, Guy and his Nort storyline. I know that was great. Joe Staten actually did the best Nort out there. He actually looked like a dog because in a lot of the in a lot of the JLI issues. Oh, he looked like a guy with a man with fur. Yeah, he he looked well. He looked like they took Chewbacca from Star Wars and put a green lantern costume. Yeah. No, no, Guy Staten's uh, Nort was was magnificent, yeah. and I miss Nort. Well, I the sort of side note, I heard that in issue sixteen of uh, New Warriors or New Guardians, I'm sorry, uh-huh. uh, that Aaron Cooter, I think, who's the artist on the book, is supposed to be drawing Nort. So supposedly Nort makes a cameo in the book. But he's going to be part of the new. 52, which is disappointing because the new 52, if one thing the new 52 needs, it's it's some fun. It's some comedy. Oh, yeah. Um, again, we've got not only Nazis trying to uh, face down Buck, we've got zombies being led by, I guess, Arab terrorists. And you've got El Garto, which is this death cult or something. Yeah, and, and these these Mexican things. And again, here, like I sort of mentioned the thing, we get hints that there might be a bit more a bit more of the uh, typical rapiness going on, which is, I'm glad that they shied away from that. I'm glad to see that uh, Esperanza was a very strong character, even though we find out at the end that she is completely against the party, and she's this Elgarto character that she was able to handle herself. and She didn't have to be rescued by anybody. In fact, she was more likely to help him. Exactly, especially if you see on uh, page 7, that last panel, uh, the image of those guys stuffed into the tree. Oh, I know. That's, that was great. <laughs> uh, just the, There's heads and legs and arms sticking out, and the face of the one guy, the shocked expression on his face, like, I just got folded in half by a strange, large woman. Yeah, it's, it's pretty disgusting. And again, it, it they show you in that panel that they've been stuffed into the tree. But a lot of get uh, it's a little bit like back where where Alex is stuffed in the refrigerator with Kyle. Mm-hmm. There's enough to horrify you, but not enough to disgust you. Yeah, I mean, and I think the fact that the shocked expression on his face sort of. It doesn't minimize it, but it diminishes the shock value of it. Right. It diminishes it, well, the, the groove value of it. I mean, yes, there's blood, and yes, there's 
the word Elgarto written in blood. But, but it's, it's not, cartoony violence. Yes, it's exactly. It's not over the top, in your face, sort of. It's almost Looney Tunes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not quite to that degree, but there's a hint of it. That's it's really fun. Yeah. Uh, of course, you've got the image of all a Buck and crew just kicking through the zombies on the next page, as well as Rita and Buck using giant machine guns and a flamethrower, which I guess probably wouldn't be ecologically correct in rainforest right now. And then Guy jumping the Abdul character with a baseball bat. That is, that's awesome. It is. And, I, and, I miss Buck and I miss that whole crew. They just sort of disappeared. I know. And it, it would have. I know they keep on with Buck in the uh, Warrior series, but Buck was just such a fun character. Just and he made a perfect pair with Guy. And the fact that they were both, I loved in the last issue that I covered uh, last week that Buck and Guy during this big sort of Hal Needham is. Uh, brawl that he goes into in this bar. Oh, they're talking about football in the yeah, middle of it. <laughs> about, hey, didn't you for Michigan State? Yeah, weren't you? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it was just so perfect. <laughs> Everyone else is punching people out like, guys. <laughs> Yoo-hoo. Oops. But yeah. uh, then, of course, we get uh, Abdul, who turns into a giant cobra with arms. That is awesome. Just just the number of people transforming into other weird beings in this book is just wholly ridiculous. Um, and his dialogue through the whole thing is just a hoot. You know, it, he's, he's just, all these things are happening, and it has to be disconcerting, to say the least, but he's just going with it. <laughs> just, well, that, you've got to think that Guy has seen some weird stuff in being Green Lantern, but I think this kind of tops it, and the fact that he's handling it so well is another testament to the fact that Guy can just roll with the punches. He's pretty unflappable. Um, one of my absolute favorite scenes is on page 13, uh, the one up in the corner where they've, they're taking him, the warrior women are taking him back to the temple, mm-hmm. and they've got him up on a litter, and they're all carrying him, and he's sitting up there with his arms folded. Oh, yes. Well, that, it's just a very small panel. <laughs> I find that very funny. <laughs> I, I love it, too. I, I love his comment uh, prior to that. Just fan-friggin-tastic. I know! <laughs> and this is my Swedish bikini team. Yep. Just, it's, it's great Bo Smith writing, but it's also appropriate to the character of Guy, that he would just be so happy if there are just tons of women adoring him and carrying them on his shoulders to this. But but when he does get to the uh, temple where he sees the image of himself, he's actually kind of humbled. He's not... He, he, he's got this bravado to himself right. when he actually is faced with the fact that he might be this uh, overly powerful sort of actual... Well, not really deity, but this legendary person in them, he's actually humbled. And I think that's one of the things that people don't see with Guy. You know, yeah. they see the side of him where he can actually be uh, a generous, humble person. So I, I like that here. And of course... Well, he was he was definitely the jerk with a heart of gold. Yeah. One of the things that... I, this is a line from uh, that a friend of mine told me that he... 
used to describe Guy Gardner and people who didn't know about him. There's a line from the uh, second Die Hard movie that Bruce Willis delivers to, oh, I can't remember the character, but it's the uh, uh, air traffic controller who's the black guy, and he says, I'm sorry earlier about calling you an asshole. And uh, the guy says, oh, don't worry. I am an asshole. I'm just your kind of asshole. <laughs> That's how he's gone on to describe Guy Gardner. Guy Gardner, yes, he is an asshole, but he is your kind of asshole. He's he the one is. that you want on your side when things start to go down. So uh, I, I just love the character. And then, he, he is an unrelenting asshole, but he knows it. Yes. And, and I think he uses that on, uh, on sometimes. And oh, he definitely uses that. He uses it to, to get people's coat sometimes. And sometimes it's really fun when he does it. And then sometimes it's, oh, what was that book that I read a while back? The, it's the one, it, it was the one shot. It wasn't Emerald Warriors. Mm-hmm. It was the one that, oh, it'll come to me later. But it's the one they did like in... 2004, it was just a two-shot book where... Oh, the Howard Chaykin one? Oh, that one. That was... Oh, that was awful! Yeah, that thing just... I, I, you know, someone told me about that, you know, because they said, oh, Nort's in it. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll check it out. And Dark Nort. I, I was so disappointed. Chaykin... That is the worst Guy Gardner book I think I've ever read. Yeah. It was so totally not him. No. Or any of the characters. No, he he did not get the character of Guy in no. any way, shape, or form. Guy was just this big, toothy guy who was just an ass, and he wasn't redeemable at all. And both no, he was he was he was a complete ass, and he was unlikable ass. Yes, and, and Guy is likable. Guy is definitely, and this one Guy is completely likable. Uh, next page, of course, we get dinosaurs with. Machine guns mounted the side, and the fact that they think this would actually work is just a testament to the just ridiculousness of it. I mean, and they're well drawn dinosaurs. No, I agree, and I think I know this came out after Jurassic Park, so obviously they had a lot of dinosaur craziness going on. So they probably yeah. have a lot of reference from that movie that they can take from. But the dinosaurs are really well drawn, and I just. It just cracks me up, the, the swastika. Well, you know, it's, it's no crazier than talking gorillas and, and all the other stuff. That go. It's one of those things that if you try to explain it to someone who doesn't read comics, they look at you as if you've grown two heads. Exactly. But to someone who does love comics, it's just, it's like that, oh yeah, moment. <laughs> Uh, on the next page, I wonder why Darkseid over here got all tattooed up and is staying in this weird chamber. Oh, wait. You'll that's... notice those. Those are the same tattoos that Guy ends up with a few issues later. Yes, I do. And that that's a, that's a nice little reference because at the end of this book, he's not the uh, warrior that we'd get to know in the uh, subsequent issues. Yeah, it's that weird red armor <laughs> stuff. Uh, and that's been a contention of mine and other people's throughout the book up to this point was that Guy was stuck in these ex- increasingly goofier costumes. You know, he went from the, uh, you know, once uh, Byrne Davis came on, he went from the leather biker uniform with the yeah. king gloves to the booster, the, not the booster gold, but the blue beetle borrowed armor. Oh, that was awful. With the weird tubes coming out of the back. 
wholly impractical. And then he comes back to this sort of red and blue thing, which I guess is a nice transition from the armor they had before to what he'll look like. But yeah, it's it's all kind of wonky. Fortunately, that only lasts for up until zero hour. Which... Yeah, I think right after zero. In fact, right after zero hour wraps up, guys like, hey, yeah. I've got this new this new look. He's running around wearing tattoos and a smile. I loved it. <laughs> As you would. Uh, very Indiana Jones later in the book with yep. a guy going up to the whole thing. Uh, I'm. They're obviously aping the first Indiana Jones movie where Indiana or where Jones goes up to the thing and gets the idol off the thing. Uh, again, looking on page eighteen. Esperanza's got to have an incredible wedgie here. <laughs> I mean, <Yes. laughs> into her El Carto thing. Uh, she's her Daisy Dukes were short then. Right now, uh, there's not much left to the imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it <laughs> and again, this is it's it's a sexist thing. But when she's getting eaten by the dinosaurs and the, and Buck and guy are like, damn it, she looked so good in those shorts. That's a terrible thing to say, but they would it's it's completely in character. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I, I I think Bo Smith is a person who is respectful of females, but yes. he's not he's not going to shy away from the fact that guys talk this way, especially manly men, which Buck and Guy are. Oh God, yes. You first are introduced to Buck. What is he doing? He's he's got his shirt ripped open and he's punching people. That is that is a manly man there. <laughs> so a guy getting in with this this character is just is it's perfect for him. They're both they're also they're manly but in a gleeful sort of way. Well, and and again to counter that, you've got Rita and uh, later in the book you'll bring in Lady Blackhawk. Uh, who are very strong female characters. I loved it when they brought in Zenda. Bo doesn't shy away from having female characters in there who are, or he doesn't put female characters in there who are just wayfish sort of... Oh, oh, heck no. They're very strong women, and I think he has a respect for them. And, uh, and Verona has no powers, really, except for that little mind link thing she has going. Mm-hmm. And she's the bouncer. Oh, yeah. Later on. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's It's just... It's just wholly awesome. I, I love the fact that after Guy drinks the uh, waters out of the skull, he he thinks, huh, nothing happens. I'll, I'll probably just give me a bad case of the squirts. I, oh, and he's whining about how terrible it tastes. <laughs> well, I love the fact that he's just complaining about it. Oh, I need to get this power. I need to get this power. Ugh, this tastes like ass. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, but uh, we get the... We get the fact that Guy is still a hero um, on page 20 as he sees the boulder going towards Buck. Right. Despite the fact that he doesn't know what's going to happen to him, dives in the way and pushes Buck out of the way. Again. No, he has no idea. Yeah, he he doesn't know whether he's going to be crushed to death or what. He just does it because Guy's a hero. Perfect example of it here. Yeah. And then, of course, we get Guy punching out of the rock with the... Uh, Ridiculous armor on, and uh, I I I love Bo Smith's lines here because 
El Cartos coming after guys like, yeah, I'd love you too. And he punches her, and I, can I quote you on that? Just the quippage here is just really fun. Or, or when they're discussing the how how does it taste, and he says it tastes like General Glory's coffee. <laughs> Bad. Uh, I love that they're bringing Chip Glory back into it, and just or at least referencing him. And then, of course, you know, the final panel we get this weird vortex that's sucking up all the uh, Nazi dinosaurs, which is sad. And on the final panel, we get a, a nice splash page of all of our heroes. And for a while, I I realized. I finally realize it now because I was looking at the comic again. I was wondering what the heck is Guy holding on this last panel, because oh, it's that little projector thingy. That, yeah, yeah. See, I see. I didn't realize that until now. And in my notes, I wrote, "Is he carrying that thing that that one guy from Empire Strikes Back was carrying out of Cloud City?" Because uh, I don't know if you know this, there, in Empire Strikes Back, there's a character when they're evacuating Cloud City, who's basically carrying an ice cream maker. Out of it's been a while since I've seen it. I don't remember that. It's it's a big thing on the internet, and there are people who made a story behind this little one-off character who was on screen for maybe a couple of seconds, <laughs> made him into the hero of Cloud City. Because oh he, what he was carrying wasn't an ice cream maker. It was like the central computer core. And it's it's just ridiculous. So I thought yeah. he might be carrying like an ice cream maker or the central computer core of this. It was his grandmother's ice cream maker. <laughs> oh, but this was just a glorious, fun issue. and It was. And at the end, we get kind of the setup for the next issue, which is going to be dealing with the uh, Zero Hour storyline, which is just, well, it is what it is. Uh, I liked Zero Hour as it covered Guy and Supergirl and Steel, and when they when they saved Zinda, uh, Lady Blackhawk. That part of it I enjoyed. The rest of it was like, hey. Yeah, I, I recently went and reread Zero Hour, and there's a lot of stuff going on there, and it's you kind of see that they're trying to say, okay, we know we didn't get quite everything right with Crisis, we're going to get everything right here, and it just, it, in the end, it really doesn't get everything right there. No, but I still like it better than what they did with 52, <laughs> the new thing. Very true, very true. Oh, I will tell you this and this probably makes me a horrible, horrible person, is that in Zero Hour, they finally get rid of Carrie Limbo. Well, I hate Carrie Limbo. I'm, I, I'm kind of torn on Carrie Limbo. I understand <laughs> that Guy really, you know, that was Guy's love up before he uh, met with Ice, who is now, in my opinion, Guy's love. Yeah. Is they're 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 the Lois and Clark, they are the uh, Mary Jane and Peter. Oh, I love Guy and Ice be together. But the fact that right after Guy goes into a, or Guy disappears and being blasted away by the uh, lantern explosion, right. first thing that Carrie Limbo does is fall into the arms of Lothario Hal Jordan. I mean, she's upset for five minutes and then she's all over Hal. I, I I recently read the uh, there was a Secret Origins book where uh, 
they do the origin of Guy Gardner, and they basically do that. You know, Carrie Limbo's like, oh, I'm so depressed. The guy's gone. Hold me, Hal. Oh. Oh, Hal. Hal, you're so wonderful. So, yeah. They're going to get married. She's the only one that ever actually got Hal Jordan to the altar, Uh, which is quite an achievement when you think about it. Yeah, because Hal has has had a string of of girls, you know, a mile long. <sighs> I did he, like it that when they brought Guy back from his coma and he was all cranky and obnoxious, he can't stand the sight of her because mm-hmm. she's all over him again. Oh, oh, Guy, I, I, I waited for you. I'm so happy to see you. And he calls her Carrie Bimbo and tells her to get lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and rightly so. I mean... <laughs> Yes, you think he's dead, but he's a superhero, and he, ex- he he died supposedly because of an explosion of a magic lantern given to him by strange aliens that are almost godlike. Mm-hmm. You've got to think that, hey, maybe something wonky might be going on, and maybe he's not dead. But obviously, you know, the first grieving thing you need to do is go into the arms of the next Green Lantern in line, just... Yeah. yeah, I'll agree with you. <laughs> so, so Bo Smith made sure that Carrie Limbo didn't make it out of Coast City, so it was all worth it to me. <laughs> well, that's that's all I've got for this issue. Um, if do you have anything else you want to talk about? Um, well, oh, I can go on this for the next three or four hours, but <laughs> <laughs> we do have to calm down. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for letting me shoot my mouth off about how fabulous Guy oh, Gardner is. Oh, Sally, it has been a treat having you on the show. This is just wonderful. I I I'm really love getting your insight on this, and I really love the fact that you are a big fan of the one and only Guy Gardner. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sally, go ahead and tell people where they can find you on the internet. Uh, tell people about your site. Uh, it's called Green Lantern Butts Forever. I have to say that it's a totally ridiculous title, but at the time I had probably had one too many margaritas and there were teenagers involved. So uh, <laughs> that's the reason behind that. <laughs> but uh, I just really like Green Lanterns. And their butts. <laughs> well, and, and it shows the side. I mean, not only the fact that you like Green Lantern butts, but the fact that you love Green Lantern. Your reviews are some of the most uh, well-thought-out, fun, enjoyable reads out there. Uh, if anyone wants to know about the current Green Lantern stuff, uh, this site is the place to go to. Sally does great reviews, plus she also talks about the other comics. She's, and the fact that you are such a fan of these comics is just it, it just is awesome to me I really enjoy coming to your site every Wednesday and seeing what you have to read and seeing what you have to say about the books it's just really fun there really are women readers out there <laughs> they may well, not want to acknowledge us but we do exist yes it is unfortunate that the uh, current regime decides oh women readers we don't need them 18 to 34 guys that's all we need here um, or Starfire and I've got a lot of disposable income and I'm perfectly willing to put it at their disposal. So you know Well and hopefully, hopefully <laughs> someday they will realize that, hey, maybe we could do something uh for the females. Uh, that would be nice. <clears throat> but but like I said, Gil Kane started the whole thing by drawing Hal's behind so beautifully all the time and 
Oh. <laughs> and Pat Gleason would always throw in one for me, too, so, you know, I, I can't complain. Well, we'll be getting more cheesecake of Kyle here uh, in later issues, because I know he likes to run around in a towel every once in a while. Oh, the loincloth one is a good shot, too. Oh, wow, I can't wait for that. Yeah. <laughs> but that does it for this episode. Uh, thank you all for listening, and thank you again, Sally, for coming on. Uh, well, thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. No problem. Uh, we will see you next time on another episode of Just One of the Guys. Till then, bye-bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingram. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at justoneoftheguys, all one word, dot libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast and be sure to leave a review there. I'd love to read down the next episode. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. If you're, do you have the books in front of you? I have my books. I can't find my guy, my the one with Kyle. Oh, I remember okay. it, but I can't find it. Okay. So well, but I have all my Guy Gardner books here. Okay. Awesome. Well, this should all work out fine. Let me make sure I've got things closed down. Let me start recording. Okay. Okay, it is recording. All right. I've got the file. It is recording. So we're going good. Um, I'll bring us in. I'll introduce you, and we'll just go from there. All righty then. It's so much fun to talk with somebody who knows about this stuff. <laughs> well, this is basically basically what happened is this po- the whole podcast thing sort of came from my job. I, I work late nights, and I used to work as a laboratory tech, and I'd have to work in a room with a microscope, looking at uh, microscope slides for hours on end. It was late at night. It was boring. So I had to find something to do. And I couldn't, we didn't have good radio reception, and plus here in Oklahoma, our radio sucks. <laughs> so... What I did was I uh, started, you know, I heard about this thing called podcast, and I started out with uh, the Kevin Smith podcast. And you know who Kevin Smith, the guy who did Clerks. Right. um, And he did a podcast called Smodcast where he just basically talked, and it was really fun. And things expanded from there, and eventually I found these uh, comic book podcasts. Uh, And... That led to uh, another one of my fandoms, which is Star Wars and Star Trek. I grew up in in, the, in an era where you know I was in the seat, 
in 77 when Star Wars came out, and it was one of the formative things of my childhood. I just love right. Star Wars. And uh, I found a podcast where these guys were talking about Star Wars and comics and Star Trek and uh, started listening to that. And eventually, uh, they did a show where they said, go ahead and how to make your own podcast. And it's really pretty simple. It's, it's all done on the computer. There's editing software on the computer. Uh, the thing I'm using, Skype on the computer, I'm actually not calling you on a phone. I've got a headset hooked up to the computer, and I'm using a program to talk to you, and it's all working out really well. And I, basically, I just took the thing that I really love, uh, the Green Lantern books from the 90s, and I do a show about it, and I talk about the... I talk about the uh, excellent taste. Huh? You have excellent taste. That's why I think that they're having trouble with this whole new 52 thing. There's no continuity anymore. mm -hmm. So that's Jeff Johns' real strength is being able to go in the past and and pluck out these obscure little nuggets of information. And he can't do that anymore. Well, and that's, that's, yeah, that's the kind of thing that's been hindering is the fact that they can't do that. However, from what I've heard, a lot of times, especially with certain writers, Grant Morrison, uh, he tends to just pick whatever he wants, regardless of whether or not it fits in with the uh, concept of the new 52. Um, One of the big sticking points is the whole, quote-unquote, five-year timeline, which allows Batman to have, what, three, five Robins, Robins, five different Robins, you know, if, right. if you were a if you were a caregiver and you went through five different uh, wards or five different uh, <laughs> yeah, why haven't they slapped his ass in jail yet? Yeah. <laughs> Bruce Wayne would be in in problem. In it, I, I the fifty two the new whole new thing has been interesting. There have been some decent books, but God, I'm getting tired of it. I miss my continuity. 